Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. And today's record label is Cruisin' Records, a New Orleans record label that is created to support queer artists. And I'm talking with the founders, Theo, Clyde, and Darby, and we talk all about what it was like to start the label and some of the drive and the passion and the meaning uh, behind their label and what they hope to do. You can find out more about this label by going to cruisinrecords.com and cruisin is spelled C-R-U-I-S-I-N records.com. If you enjoy our podcast and if you have benefited from any of the resources, and I'll tell you what, we're coming into November as I record this of 2021, and it marks four years from when I started to develop the show and we launched in early 2018. And I want to thank everyone for for listening. And as I've said so many times over the past couple of years, our listenership has increased uh, month over month for the past three years. Uh, and I get to hear from you uh, all the time. And this community is so much fun to be a part of. If you have benefited from the show, enjoyed the show, enjoyed the resources, please consider becoming a patron. Not only, or is it patron? A patron, through Patreon. Not only do you get our extended interviews, which is included um, this episode, there's an extended interview where, of course, where we play our little game and where we ask additional questions with our guests, um, but we also have bonus episodes for our patrons. Please go to patreon.com slash other record labels to become a patron. Um, so, you know what? Like, uh, as I was mentioning at the beginning uh, with Darby, I, I, I generally only interview one person at a time. And, and today I have uh, three plus myself is four. It's good, so it's a good party going on here. Um, but <laughs> I, uh, for, for answering, like, um, whoever you want to take the question, um, totally informal, just, you know, talk over your, your each other. In fact, I am recording all three audio um, separately, so I can just pick the best answer. You guys could all talk at the same time <laughs> if you wanted to. Um, joking. Okay, so <laughs> I I read uh, this was fine. I, I and I'm excited to chat. I, I read on on the bio for Darby that uh, Darby you had said that you attempted. This is hilarious. You attempted to play multiple instruments, but eventually realized that you're a lot better at helping musicians behind the scenes. And this is one of my favorite topics on the show. How did you all come to the realization that, you know, um, and I know, I know some of you are musicians as well, but that, that behind the scenes was something that excites you and, and that you're passionate about, uh, or at least that you have a passion and a talent for helping other artists as well as, as yourself. Darby, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, I think that a uh, little bio really sums it up. I, oh my God, the amount of instruments I've tried to play. <laughs> I just, Which ones? I wasn't. Which ones? Um, well, I mean, I started with guitar and then I tried piano sure. and then um, I lived in Alaska for a short period of time. So I was like really into trying to play the banjo okay, and yeah. our mandolin. Yeah. That was like full key was really popular there. Couldn't get into that. Um, I just, I just don't take to it. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it just required something I don't, I don't have, but I've always really enjoyed like managing and marketing and like social media and like digital marketing space where music is concerned. And I had like a online music magazine in high school 
mm. um, on MySpace that I loved. So I was just like, I just was, I just needed to follow my passion as far as music was concerned. And yeah. Uh, what about Clyde? That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, Darby, I didn't know that you had an online music magazine in high school. <laughs> now I want to know more. Um, <laughs> what was the magazine called? Oh, oh my God. I don't want to say. Okay. Like, it was so on, it was on MySpace. Yeah, it, I ran out of MySpace. I was like, I don't know if you guys remember like how MySpace was set up, but you could do like blogs that would like show up on your homepage. And so I like would just post interviews. That. I lived in Rhode Island, so I would like, email. it was like really easy to like email the publicists, like find their emails and just be like, hey, I'm 14 and I run a blog. Like, can I interview the bravery or like Amazing. all time low or whatever? And they were like, totally. So I actually Amazing. interviewed some really cool people. Um, I also had that experience in, in like college when I had a zine and I like totally interviewed Sleater Kenny and it was Carrie Brownstein and she talked way over my head. She was like really smart. And I was like, I have no idea what she's talking about. You also just got such a much cooler bands than I did. (laughs) There must've been a, that was, that was the only interview I did. And then it was like really awkward. And I was like, I don't know what we're talking about. And then I don't think I did. Uh, <laughs> there must've been this time where like uh, a lot of publicists were keen on getting content onto the internet and thinking that blogs were the next big thing. And at the same time, there's just not a lot of people emailing publicists, you know, 15 years yeah. ago. Content, yeah. right? Content. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, Theo, what about you? Uh, t- tell me about like what it is about the label, the business side, the marketing side that is interesting to you. Uh, yeah, gladly. Well, I mean, first, I just I want to talk a little bit about you know how I how I met Clyde and how we became friends was you know at a time when much earlier in our lives of um, being really excited about uh, making like music that was very like much about doing it ourselves, like in terms of how we did it and what the, what the sound was like and what the aesthetic of the things that we made was like. Um, and, and we very much connected over that, um, you know, at, it, it, like in a time when we were going on these like do it yourself tours and mm. playing at a lot of house shows and a lot more than I do in my life now. And, um, and, and so much about the process of making it, um, was where so much of the community happened and the, the building of shared values That's happened. Awesome. And so that was really, I mean, I'll speak for myself, really exciting for me. Uh, and for the bands that I played in at that time, Zum Zum, and then later a band called Nana Grizzle, I was really involved with booking the shows. And so I made all these friends and all these connections who were people who, uh, who organized concerts all over mostly the southeastern U.S., but then all over the country, and, you know, I've ran a little tiny record label for a little while and put out a lot of our own music. So I became familiar with the process of, you know, designing label art and using a Xerox machine or, <laughs> or Photoshop or whatever you needed. Sure. And the same for recording. And, um, and so all of that stuff was so suffused. I mean, one, with just a really particular aesthetic, but also with really particular relationships around making stuff. And so that's something that we really bonded over. Um, but at the same time, you know, we were both, I don't, I don't mean to speak for Clyde, so I'm going to let him just talk after I'm done um, about this. But, but both, you know, really aware that we ended up in a lot of very straight spaces um, as like very queer people who are committed to creating like queer positive spaces and like very queer music. And, you know, also meeting a bunch of really rad queer artists and us all having a sense of like, 
not being really sure where to go and where that place was for ourselves. And so for a long time, we would have lots of conversations about doing something um, to help to, 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 to help generate kind of like a, a common meeting point for, for the, for folks who were making, for queer folks who were making music and making art and, and wanted to uh, connect and do it on another level, uh, you know, in any way, whatever that meant sort of broadly construed. And so I, I felt like a record label was sort of an obvious outlet for that. That's a record label is like an official term for a, or it's basically like, you know, making a community official in a way that's kind of sometimes how I feel. And so it's, it's almost just giving a name and a brand, if you will, to a community that's already there, which sounds like. And I want to say resources really matter. And I want to say that something that we've thought about a lot, you know, in, in doing like DIY punk and touring, I mean, you can tell, I mean, I'm somebody who came from an upper middle class family and background. And I had a lot of access that came from that. Right. And so now we have a lot of resources that we can help other artists with to help like foster that community in a, in a really tangible way that I think is also really important. And is honestly the main reason why I think a record label. Um, did, did we lose you there? I don't know if he's still there. Theo, Theo? did, Hey, I'm here. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, did it just, I drop off? It sounded no, no. It, uh, you finished your sentence, and then I heard it. I heard it cut off. But um, what kind of resource are you talking about? Because I, I 100% agree. I, I think that um, you know whether it's tangible resources or even if it's just answering questions that that new artists have. What kind of resources are, are you talking about? Uh, well, I'll, I'll answer that question really fast, and then I'm, I'm curious how other people would, would answer that. But I, mean, I think the way that I think of it, and we've often talked about it, is we, one just in in having you know a pool of money to put out an LP uh, mm -hmm. when that's something that's an interest or, or desired by an artist, but also uh, exactly a, a body of knowledge about how to navigate booking shows or how to navigate working with record labels, you know, uh, or not record labels, record you know pressing plants and sure. producing companies. I think. That, that hub of, of knowledge and our combined, you know, among the three of us, whatever, 25 to 30 years or more uh, of experience with mm -hmm. that uh, is, is very useful. Uh, and knowing how to use the, the financial resources more uh, in a way that's going to have the biggest impact, you know, like, uh, I feel like that's thinking a... about Darby's connections and knowledge about doing press. So, yeah, what else do people add to that? Um, I would add, I think the thing that I spend a lot of time with artists doing is getting their publishing setting up, set up, kind of like walking Very cool. artists through the, the um, inside minutia of the record industry. Um, and so I'll spend like a lot of time just kind of collecting data from artists <laughs> and being like, well. Yeah, and helping everyone, them get organized. Yeah, the phone call starts and they're like, I'm so excited. This record's coming out so soon. And I'm like. And you're about to get so much homework. <laughs> Welcome to two months of homework. Good for you. And, That's great. And like, I've been a musician on that side and also, you know, walked a lot of artists through it. I came to this label um, through the past 20 years. I've been a tour manager and an artist manager. Uh, kind of just fell into it. I worked for Laura Veers for five years and I toured with Kimmy Dawson for about 10 and then I managed a band called Earth for five years. So I worked in wow. a lot of kind of diaspora scenes, metal scene, indie folk, kind of mid-level indie rock mm -hmm. stuff. So um, I had all this strange, like, 
behind the scenes experience working with like none such records, Southern Lord, um, you know, and just learning how to just do the most boring things, like get your songs <laughs> on a BMI, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. at a time when the BMI website was not that good. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of came, that's, that's definitely something that's part of my like resource pool for artists. That's really helpful. <laughs> One thing that um, Theo said that really just triggered me was um, what to spend money on and what not to spend money on. I think you alluded to that. And uh, I think, I feel like that is like almost the number one thing at the beginning for a label to be able to, to guide an artist is to say, hold on, don't waste your money on that, <laughs> you know, or this, uh, you know, certain arena is, is worth whatever it costs. Do you guys uh, agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I spend a lot of time like talking to artists at the beginning of our conversations. And, and uh, one thing about our label that I think is special is, we really try to cater to each artist differently. And we really just start with the question, like, what do you want and what do you need? And what's the vision for this record? Mm. Um, instead of just being like, everything's 50-50, see you later. <laughs> or right. whatever, yeah, you know? sure, sure. Okay. Because some labels do that, right? You know, that's true. That's fun yeah, no, that's true. But, Let me yeah. ask you then, um, and, and, and whoever wants to take this, uh, how did, what is the genesis of this? How did uh, these three individuals from... Uh, the music industry come together or were you always together? Were you just born that way that you, the three of you were <laughs> <laughs> destined for this? Wish. <laughs> it was a really messy hospital room. <laughs> <laughs> Theo, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was getting situated once more. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, like, um, I think that that Clyde and I met, in fact, I think that it was in Gulfport, which I just got home from Gulfport, uh, Mississippi. I could be wrong. That, that might have been the first time. Uh, if I was 18, so probably about two years ago, um, about 19 years ago. And, uh, and so we, and, and we've become very good friends. And I lived with Clyde in Seattle for a little while. And, um, and, and for all the reasons that I described before that I won't try it out again, we just had connected very much over um, our love of, of punk and of queer art and queer people and, uh, and our excitement about just the process of making stuff. Mm. I mean, Clyde makes so many really amazing things and such like, like out of cardboard and out in, in such incredible ways that I'm also not going to blow him up about it right now, but like, I was really excited about the ways that Clyde approached making things and, uh, and, uh, and, and use the sort of medium of, of the DIY ethics and culture, et cetera. And so I think if it was 19 years ago that we met, it was probably 15 years ago that we started talking about having a record label and started talking wow. about how great it would be um, to, to, to just put, put our powers towards, um, yeah, the things that everybody said so far, uh, helping to cultivate queer community and support queer artists in that way. And then, was finally in 2018 and in the interest of full transparency like my mother had passed and left me some money and so i had some money that i was like okay i can put this towards um starting something new and so mm. we invested i think fifteen thousand dollars in just getting it off the ground wow. and um 
And uh, we put out three records to begin with. And one was some old recordings from our band Nana Grizzall because we knew we could sell a pressing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one was Clyde's band Mandate, incredible record. And one was uh, an act called Monson Leash, uh, who is Walt McClements, who is based out of Los Angeles, but earlier was from New Orleans. And, um, and yeah, so at the beginning, we just were doing vinyl releases of everything. You know, we were like, we're a record label. Yeah, yeah. And so we've, we've had a lot of lessons. I mean, and I think I would say that was 2018. Um, learned a lot and learned very quickly. And Darby joined us shortly thereafter uh, about how to do it and what was going to be good uses of our resources and what wasn't. And we had sort of a trial by fire, in fact, with a with a LA publicist who we hired and fired and fortunately got all the money back. Oh. <laughs> well, I was going to ask. Uh, I was going to ask you what were some of the like some of the the misfires. Um, you know, when when you have a, a budget. Because uh, a lot of people start out, they don't have a budget at all, or they're too timid to invest their own uh, explicit costs into it. Um, what were some of the the misfires or, or or things that you know now that you've learned you wouldn't have spent your money on? Definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really, that's the main one. I mean, honestly, everything else, I feel like we're just, we're just messing around. You know, it's like you're figuring out like what's going to look good as a Xerox versus what do you need to send off to the, to the printer, you know? Sure. Um, uh, that kind of stuff, and, and which I think that everybody's going to have to just figure out for themselves and figure out how to consult artists for on it. But I think that the, the era of like hiring like a PR, I, I think that there's this way and I think a lot of people do it really... I think there are publicists who do really good work who came up through the DIY scene and through the indie music scene and have made careers of it and are, have a lot of integrity and do a lot of great work. Um, I think there was a certain situation that we were in where we just didn't have the context and we didn't have the relationships and we hired somebody and it just didn't make sense. Sure. And that's something that I think that a lot of people end up doing in this business because they're like, oh, what do I need? I'm putting out a record. <laughs> like, I need to get a publicist. And I'm just going to advise everybody not to do that. That's so smart. It's so true. You're right. People feel that way. And, and I, I think, um, and maybe, maybe you disagree with this, but I think that, uh, there's not much that a publicist can do. And I, and I have a lot of respect for publicists. Um, and, and my opinion on this might change and I might be wrong, but, um, I don't think there's much that a publicist can do for a brand new artist. You know, somebody who the public has no idea who that person is. Um, I, I feel like publicists really do a great job whenever there's uh, a demand for an album or there's interest for an album, and they can really harness that and and properly schedule a release. But I've always felt it to be, I don't know, it, it's it's much harder when it's a a brand new artist you're de- debuting. And I, yeah, I don't want to put Darby like, on the spot. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to ask you to talk about that because you do a killer job promoting brand new artists. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, no, I was saying, I, I too would like to shit on publicists for a second. Um, I, I'm just kidding. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, I, I, the thing about like with new artists or artists that like aren't huge is that their personal brand meeting social media really is like, I think does so much more than getting a publicist at Mm. this point. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of made hiring a publicist obsolete is that that's the first place that people will go a lot of the time when, when they hear about a new artist, they'll check out their social media Um, sometimes even before they hear their music. That's a good point. Yeah. They're trying to get that vibe first or it's just like, it's habit now. Um, (laughs) 
So, or if they Google them, like their social media links will come up sometimes right. even before a website with a smaller artist. So it's like, those are really important. And that is where an artist gets to be like a person and an artist in the same space. And it says a lot about um, what their music is going to be like. It's where they promote their own music. I mean, it's, it's, I, I work a lot with the artists that we have on our label with their social media and, mm-hmm. and cultivating social media and posting and just kind of talking to them about their branding, because I think that that is just a lot more valuable um, at this point. That is really like, wise advice. Mm-hmm. In fact, people should pay you for that advice instead of a publicist. Mm-hmm. Um, what an idea. So <laughs> I want to ask, um, first of all, let me get this question out of the way. Is the label in a New Orleans label officially? Um, is that the geotag you've given it or, or how does it work? Um, we are uh, technically, I think we're all technically virtual. I'm in Philly. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm based in Philadelphia and Clyde is in. Uh, I live in a rural Skagit County, which is just south of Canada in northwestern Washington on a tiny island. Oh, wow. That isn't what I was going to say okay. at all. So I'm glad <laughs> I live in like unincorporated county. Okay. <laughs> but uh, our accounting is in New Orleans, yes. Okay. We are. Financially based in New Orleans. Financially. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But we um, keep our record stock up in a town called Anacortes, which I live across the um, channel from. And we work with a, a local record store called The Business, which is an amazing, beautifully curated, tiny record store that also runs a distro. Mm. They do a lot of the distro for Mount Erie microphones and oh, Wolves cool. in the Throne Room and a bunch of Northwest bands. Um, and they do our mailing for us. So we just have a little storage space in town and, and I work with them and they're just like a two person company and they're incredible. Amazing. So we kind of have our physical, our physical distro in Washington state and our financial distro in New Orleans and our press in far away, far away across the East coast. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I think it's great that, um, I think it's encouraging for any, you know, a group of friends like you who are thinking about starting a label that may not be from the same town. And uh, I think it's, it totally makes sense nowadays. At one point we did all live in Seattle. Okay. We deserted it because it was a nightmare. Uh, But am I wrong to think, am I, did I see online that you're referred to as a New Orleans label? Did I see that? No, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, it's in our logo. It okay. says like North Orleans and then Seattle underneath. Oh, so. I'm, I missed the Seattle part. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think I upgraded the logo. It doesn't say Seattle anymore. Oh. I think it might on our social media. There's a chance. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's talk. You know, the idea about giving a record label a cause or a mission statement like you have with creating an intentional platform, um, a, a queer positive platform. This, I think, is so important today for labels to not only distinguish themselves, but to actually have an identity, like Theo mentioned, that's meaningful to you and that artists can be proud of and the fans can feel good about supporting. I think that's all so important. Can you walk me through the idea of creating a label for queer artists and uh, this queer positive thing? Um, and, and actually, you know, involved in that question, I'm very curious about, and, and Theo kind of touched on it, about what the scene was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, um, that really 
you know, stimulated that need for what you've created today? I can start if that helps. Please. Um, well, I going back to what you were saying about like creating a record label around a community, like I definitely like to describe Christian Records as a family. And so like we're building a family of artists that can rely on each other, play shows with each other mm. eventually, um, kind of support each other. Um, and so that's that's how I like to think about the label in general. Um, throughout my life, as I look back at the labels that I loved, um, all of them had really strong identities. Mm. Kill Rockstars, mm. Hit Records, Chainsaw. Um, they all were identified as supporting like outsiders, supporting sure. weirdos, supporting yes. freaks, supporting queer folks, supporting black and brown people. You know, like yeah. those were some very intentional thoughts. Mr. Lady Records was like really exciting to me as a youth. Um, growing up before the internet was like widely available, you're trying to find people like you. And the way to do that is to like, hear about a record label that puts out like queer records or whatever gay yeah. records and you're like oh my god mr lady like what is this yeah so like i feel like that identity was really important before the internet um because once you found that label you could like be like oh my god i love every band on this label mm -hmm. and it was kind of a portal um does someone else want to build on that part of this story why we're building a queer label yeah, Darby. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can add a little bit. Uh, I mean, I I would just want to echo everything that Clyde said. I think um, I I guess I would add again just that the the music scenes that that after being in, initiated to hearing these great bands on these great labels that uh, that's that were constructing themselves as platforms um, for for um, amplifying sort of excluded voices um i think there also are whole music scenes based around that and those those became the kind of like communities that um that i was really excited about and that i participated in and i think when i was younger um that really became the kind of like um punk aesthetic sort of like folk punk like anarchist scene mm -hmm. that you know had a lot of values and politics that i care very deeply about um, but the particular version of that scene that I became really immersed in was like um, a lot of like cis, straight, like white male sure. voices. Um, and in a way that's like really challenging because it was voices that self-identified as being against all systems of oppression, um, but often um, sort of presented themselves as being the greatest experts about that. Uh -huh. um, yeah. and I think it took a really long time for me to actually recognize that like, whatever the like ways that like my excluded identity of like queerness but like you know many other identities were were sort of like um alienated in that space sure um and so i think for, for my experience of growth has just been like with you know with music it's like just starting to be pushed to think more critically about like who do i want to be like around all the time when i'm playing music who am i singing to like who am i listening to when i go to a show i mean these questions like really matter and i think um in any like subculture where you like deal with like replicating patterns of oppression that exist in the larger culture, obviously. And so I think 
that for me has like been a big part of a shift of, of just realizing things that you, I can be intentional about, you know? And I'll say for Nana Grizzle, like our shows look really, really different than they did 10 years ago mm-hmm. um, in terms of who's in the room, in terms of who we're playing with. Um, and like, I could talk about that more, but we're not having an interview about that. Um, but, but like, I'm really excited about that. And I think that that speaks to the work that we've done um, to, to, reach out and like be part of what other cool people are doing. Um, and in some way, like stitch, stitch those vibes together. And I really hope that's my hope for cruising records too, is just to become aware of like really cool threads that are happening. I mean, particularly around queer representation and, and amplify them. Sorry, that was a lot longer than I intended for it to be. No, that's great. And so are you guys happy with, you know, as we compare it to the industry that you found yourself in 10 or 15 years ago, um, do you think things are moving in a better direction? Yeah. I mean, I think where we find ourselves right now is like among the crumbling ruins of many indie labels, uh, you know, that got called out. Mm. And I think it's a strange and awkward place to be. Sometimes some of my, friends who are older are like oh indie labels they rip everyone off and, <laughs> and I'm like, well let's be real about that <laughs> some people that we idolized in our youth did steal bands money yeah and they did you know we don't have to name names but many labels have fallen yes due to pow- power and corruption and so that's like a line that i like very warily, I'm, I'm very wary of, and like, I'm I'm trying to, uh, you know, change our process so that like, we just do our accounting like on Google Docs, and if an artist needs to see it, like we can just straight up share the document, you know, yeah. instead of like all of this mystery that surrounded um, past labels. Well, I think. I think y- oh, go for no, it. finish. Yeah, finish. I mean, I think that what we saw, like growing up was that people like us started labels with the excitement and that we had to, but, and they started with the intention that was just like, I'm going to put my friend's music out, but these labels became idolized and they grew and they grew and they grew. And, um, the person running them didn't keep up with the business part of it. Yes. hundred percent. And so that ends up like hurting your friends. Yeah. So you have to like be kind of nerdy about it <laughs> and be willing to be like, oh, I'm going to sit down and do the accounting all day. You yes. know? Yes. It's it's so, an interesting balance. Like, um, I think some people start labels because they want to be idolized in their scene. You know, some of those negative stories of labels, especially when it comes to accounting, you're right. It, it it's it's mostly that they've just kind of neglected that part because it's not the fun part. And then all of a sudden things get out of control and, and and it may not come from a place of like pure evil. Like they may, maybe didn't start a label to rip people off, but yeah, it's unfortunate that, 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 that catches up to you very quickly. Yeah. And it it just takes one hit, right? Like you could have a very small label, but then have one very successful record yeah, and, and then suddenly you might owe someone that's your friend $150,000, but you haven't kept up on the accounting. And right. Your friend's still just as poor as they were yes. before their record came out, but yes, might have squandered the money. <laughs> I, I Let me ask you um, more about this, this um, 
kind of objective and, and, and the mission behind and the identity behind the label. What does that look like um, on a kind of a day-to-day level, on a, on a, a tangible, practical level? Because I know a lot of our listeners, um, they dream about, you know, and we have listeners who are thinking about starting a label or who are afraid to start a label. I know a lot of our listeners who who have started a label or thinking about starting a label want to start it with some sort of identity, want to start it with some sort of uh, passionate uh, cause. But what does that look like on a day-to-day basis as opposed to just putting it in, in your bio on your website? Uh, how do you actually practice that? Yeah. Darby, will you answer that? Because you, I think you have the most day-to-day work out of all of us. Yeah. Um, well, I'm trying to think on like a, a marketing level, like I, I guess one would be, as I mentioned before, the conversations that I have with the artists on our label about like, you know, their their branding and what they want to do, how they want to portray themselves and making sure that anything that I write or anything that anything I put in like the press releases um, reflects that. And a lot of the time they write a good portion of the press releases because I either get like a quote from them that's a long, like, like a long quote. And then I like repurpose it for the press release because I really want it to be in their words, um, which is really important to me to make sure that that's, uh, being put out to the press. And, um, so that when the press are writing, like doing their write-ups about it, they, they're not like misconstruing anything. And another thing um, that I try to do is when I'm putting together my press list, I try to look up the writer and, and see, um, I mean, you should do this anyway, like look at what like the, so you could look, get an idea of their beat and like what, sure, they, yeah. what kind of thing they want to write. But I'm also now looking for how they talk about um, like current events, how they talk about um, but like Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. or like trans rights and things like that. And just making sure that they are the right fit to, you know, to talk about this artist. Um, and some, and I've, I've had some very few situations where they, um, the press that I typically go for is already within those spaces. But um, when I go outside of it, it's, I can, sometimes I can tell I'm like, oh, this person's not the right fit because I don't think that they're going to have the, um, you know, the sensitivity that, that they need to have. And I don't want the artist to, um, especially like the the TLC that they put into mm. this project and how personal it is to them for, you know, like someone to like misgender them or to um, not be sensitive about uh, an album that's about like, you know, uh, like recovery from addiction or something like that. You know, I just want to make sure that whoever's writing about the artist is going to. That's really smart. That's yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's like pretty deep thinking too, because like, uh, um, not everybody would think that. Um, and so I, I, I feel like protecting the artist is something that a a, a lot of us labels don't often think about in that way. Yeah, I think really important, especially now it's really important. Um, especially with Clyde and Theo were saying about how the, the scene has changed and how labels used to take way more advantage of their artists, you know, that's, um, yeah, mm, I don't, I don't know yeah. what I was going to say. I was going to say something about being a vibe police, but then I was like, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the word I wanted to use, but you know what? It's already out there. I can't tell you how many labels and publicists um, just send out, I mean, you know this, but send out mass DMs uh, on Instagram and like have no rhyme or reason to who they're pitching to. In fact, this podcast 
it, like because it has record label in the title, people think it is a record label. And so <laughs> I get pitched things that are completely wrong. I mean, everything's wrong, but it, it's really funny. So it, it it is like to actually sit down and go, you know what? This person, even though they have curated a playlist with 10,000 followers or they have a great blog, isn't right for my artist. I'm not even going to pitch to them. That's, it's kind of mature. It's kind of pretty advanced. Thank you. I haven't been called mature in a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was struggling. Honestly, I was struggling for the right synonym, but um, I was going to say, yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> I wanted to uh, jump off something you said that's not quite on the topic, but um, on like using, I find it interesting that there people are using social media to pitch to writers. I, I think I might have used social media to pitch to this podcast, uh, but perhaps, yeah. I might have. I might okay. have just looked into your DMs, but <laughs> but for like for writers, you know, although again, like some some writers use their Instagrams or whatever as like a means to like promote their businesses. A lot of the times, it's just their personal accounts. Sure. And they want to, and they they probably don't want to be. I wouldn't do that. I guess I wouldn't message someone through their Instagram. Um, I would try to find like because they, they set up a business email for a reason. Yeah. And even though like you're anxious and you really want this person to like respond, it's like, you know, that's, they probably don't even look at that. <laughs> I, I don't think I would. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of agree. I mean, sometimes they invite it and, and you can, or you get a sense that they want it, but you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. And I also, I have kind of found, even though when I, when I was younger, I was trying to just, you know, pitch to everyone that I had no business pitching to, but I, now I kind of feel like, if I don't have access to their email, like if it's hidden, then I, I, they probably don't have the time for me. <laughs> like I kind of feel like right. if I can, if I have their email from a friend or from a, an industry contact, then I'll pitch. Um, but yeah, if I have to scour the web, then I, I don't know if it's going to go well. Yeah. That kind of, that idea of just like, uh, just like throwing and seeing what sticks, I, I think is not a good plan as well because yeah. Um, especially for smaller artists, right? You're first of all, like you're probably not going to get on pitchfork. You're probably going to get like consequences of sound and stuff like that. Or like, you know, you're really, or like NPR and you might, you know, um, but unless you have, you can find like those singular writers and like get their email and like really did research on like their, the music that they like. And you really believe that your artist is of their taste, like just, just, throwing it out there's not going to matter anyway and and another thing is um when you're when you're pitching you have to consider where your article or where that write up is going to be cuz if they don't post it on social media i don't think you're going to get as you're not going to get as many ears um or eyes on that article as you think because it's going to, it's just going to like end up on their website with like the, you know, seven to 10 articles that went up that day. And unless there's some kind of spotlight on it, it's going to get lost. So that's why I tend to go for those smaller, um, no smaller ones first before I even pitch to the bigger ones because they they'll they post a lot less because they're smaller teams and so their content goes on their social media it gets recirculated and there's a bigger chance of like the artist actually getting like exposure that they deserve. That's really smart and I I found something similar and and I was just promoting something recently and I I realized that you know after many years of doing this uh, you can start to. Um, find, you know, you, you realize that these are the outlets that actually earn the artist income that actually translate into band camp sales or into playlist placements that end up 
you know, earning streams. And then there's other things that are just like, you know, uh, feathers in your cap that it's like, oh, I'm, I'm featured on this website, but really you're featured at the very bottom and, and it's not, nobody's seeing it. Nobody is clicking over to buy from it. So I feel like in the end, I end up just pitching to the things that truly matter. A, a, a Bandcamp Weekly or Bandcamp Daily is huge. It could, it, it could do big things. And so I end up just kind of saying, I'm just going to focus on these things that are real and all of these other things might make me feel good or make the artists feel good, but you know what I mean? Oh yeah. 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 Um, if I, if they like end up in Pitchfork or something and it like doesn't go on the social media or their newsletter or like in a place where I think it'll actually get some eyes, I'll just use that for like press, future press releases. I'm like, they were in Pitchfork last <laughs> month. Cause that, I think that looks better in an industry so standard true. than it does for like music buyers. Yeah. 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 That's so true. I have this. I wanna, yeah. Go ahead, oh, please. Go- I wanted to add that one of my favorite things, sorry, someone's using a chainsaw next door. Um, <laughs> can hear it. Uh, I wanted to add that one of my favorite things about this year that has been fun is to like rebuild relationships with DJs um, mm. and get our music onto radio stations. That oh, wasn't like something I'd been focusing on for a while, but with COVID, um, I feel like one of the, one of the things that happened was like a lot of music writers lost their jobs. Like it was just like a, Oh, Hey, this is not a necessary job. Everyone's fired from all music writing jobs. And so, um, I think, I feel like the world is struggling to rebuild those writers and give them paid positions, but DJs didn't lose their jobs as much. And so I've been having a really fun time, like kind of building um, a pool of DJs that are supporting our artists and sending out singles to all of them and like getting a lot of like really fast instant feedback or like Mm. being able to like be like, oh my God, your new tracks on this radio show this week, check it out. And that has been like the funnest thing for me this year in terms of community building and press and like making, making friends with DJs all over the world. That's really great. We, we did a, a, an episode a couple months ago on college radio and, um, I, I I always just kind of forget about it. I forget to to pursue that angle, and so that is a great reminder. Yeah, it used to be huge. You used to be able to be, like hire a person to do a college radio campaign, mm-hmm. and I feel like that kind of fell off. Yeah, well, I mean, we we had a company called Tiger Bomb on um, who does promos for for some of the the midsize uh, indie labels, and. Um, so it is still happening, but you're right. I mean, it's not certainly not in the way it it used to be. Yeah, it's cool. That's cool to learn about. I was just gonna say, Shil does a great job. Um, Shil Patel. There you uh, go. Yeah. yeah, he did our last Nanagrizal record. Yeah. Okay, that that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, we had Shil on the show. So uh, uh, record labels. Uh, I have this. You know, I have this dream. This has been a recurring dream of mine that in my lifetime or in a few hundred years from now, artists and musicians and excluded musicians and excluded artists are paid as well as doctors and lawyers and, and record labels are the new wall street, whatever. I don't know, but you know what I mean? What does the ideal future look like for artists, uh, um, for you guys? What, what is, what is the, how, how do you want to see record labels and the music industry evolve over the next couple of years, couple of decades? Mm, that's a great question. I think we're going through an accountability phase right now. Mm. So we are 100%. evolving. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> evolving by accountability. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. 
It's an interesting question in this moment of the like of the of the sprawling pandemic. I feel like at you know in April 2020, I was having all these conversations with people about you know how 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 it was we were going to build it back on the other side, and then you know everybody's just totally exhausted and thrashed, and there's not really hardly space for that for that for the little things that are able to go on. Except you know there are more outdoor shows, which are are by definition harder to uh, to 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 keep people out of, I guess. Uh, <laughs> They're easier to access. I, I think the, 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 the a way that I would answer that question is to say, again, you know, I think about when I was first getting into punk, I really romanticized the idea of like whatever, not getting paid for your art. Yeah. Which yeah. I very much let go of and become <laughs> just a piece of stuff. Um, though I think the rationale at that time was, you know, that that you you know, no one turned away for lack of funds. And and I think that it's uh that it's a it's a it's false to say that you can't have it both ways. Um, you know, I, I think for me, the the vision of the ideal situation for music and artists just is is situated in in you know my my larger sense of the like communist utopia of the future. You know, like I I think that artists should be paid the same as doctors because I think that we should all be paid equitably for our work and we should all, you know, be, expect to have like a quality place to live and live a long life and get to make the art that we want um, sure. uncensored and, um, and, you know, let it get, have there be an infrastructure to get it out there. Um, I think that that last part is the answer when it comes to thinking about what the role of record labels is, is like, you know, you're always going to need to have people help to coordinate and figure out what it looks like to take the thing that you are, you know, imagining in your head or that you hear and and turn it into to like a representation that could be broadcast out into the world and then also people are going to specialize in figuring out how to do that and so i think that 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 whatever that is 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 the role for people like us and i just really envision a, a world where um where where we're able where where structurally all of that kind of work is valued as all human endeavors should be mm. That's great. That's very profound. Um, let, tell me, what is the role of the three of you individually at, at the label? This is Clyde, and I do... Um, what do I do? I help <laughs> artists with the back end of production okay. and distribution. Okay. What do, what do you mean I, by back end of production? Like when the music is still being worked on? Uh, usually an artist will come to us with a record that is unmastered. Okay. So we start there. Oh, I yeah. see. Oh, sorry. Back in. Yes. Connecting okay. them to getting it mastered. Um, and then working with them or whoever is creating the art to get the art into the templates for the press, mm, you know, just yeah, the, yeah. the day to day I, I re is really what I end up doing a lot of, um, let me the most exciting part of my job is going down the trail of new artists for sure and and exploring and listening and and sometimes pitching to folks i you know one of my dreams for cruising is that maybe we get to put out a record by this artist named shamir someday i really love their music and i love what they do so and pursuing artists you admire that that would be yeah yeah that's awesome um talk to me about band. sorry oh, i'm just asking about this production side of things like yeah. what uh, what's the relationship like with the artists when you're kind of saying, okay, 
explaining to them what mastering is maybe, or explaining to them the importance of artwork or why they can't just pull a picture off their phone or use a picture they found in Google. I mean, there's a lot of these kind of like, um, silly to ask questions that, but you end up be kind of having to like coach them through this process. Yeah. At this point, I have a a template email that I copy paste and send out to them because our distribution has a long list of questions. Um, I build the website pages for them. So that involves a long list of questions. Yeah. Photographs, album art, just like every little, every little thing. Um, I would say something that I end up actually doing a lot of is just like encouraging patience. Yeah. Because I know as an artist that you you have this record and then it could be like, you know, record pressing times right now are like up to a year. Sure. So they come to you and they're like, I'm ready to go. And you're like, great, your album will be out in one year. In one year. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky, if you have all your art ready right now yeah. and your master's done. So I mean, the last conversation I had last week with a with a new artist is like, okay, I know you're excited to release this in January, but you're really not ready. And you need to treat this moment and your record like this beautiful thing that you've created you can't just cram it out in the world now yes like, please continue to give this the patience so true that it deserves that's like yeah <laughs> psychological you, yes exactly you would part of this job you wouldn't just like quickly like you know pound out 10 song write 10 songs as fast as possible record them how you want like the amount of care and love you put into creating music then that's what needs to happen in in the releasing of of those songs, in my opinion. Yeah, same. I yeah, it has to translate into this like very slowly paced system, you know, mm-hmm. that involves many humans helping distribute your music all over the world, and that takes time. It, it, I always say it's like re- it, you're respecting the art. I mean, you're doing right by the art. It's disrespectful to th- those songs, to that album, to not give it its proper day in the sun. Yeah, absolutely. Same. Uh, Darby, what about you? Your role is um, more more day-to-day, uh, more publicist and social. Is that right? Yeah, um, I do. Um, I don't know if I want to call myself a publicist. No, I know, because you just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Finding a different word moving forward. Um, Sorry. No, I do, I do the PR and marketing for the label um, and, some, and for the artists uh, and their run for their album. Um, and that includes like managing our social media, helping with their social media, um, and also doing PR and marketing for the label itself. So something like this, uh, like reaching out and finding opportunities for, you know, the label to just kind of get our names out there, which subsequently gets our artists names out there. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And that's something, you know, it's, it's funny. A lot of people sort of forget to do is that, you know, we're always looking for blogs and for playlists for our artists, but, um, to actually, you know, to think what is it as a, as a completely non-music initiative we can do to promote the label, which of course, you know, it benefits the artist. So that, that's very smart. Darby is so smart. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so, you, you guys all are very smart. There's like been a lot of like, if, so if I had, a, yes, if I had a, a producer um, and, and which I don't, but if I had a producer who could, who could pull out some of these smart quotes and make them into those fancy little wave things that you put on social media, then they'd be very busy on this episode. Oh my gosh. Theo, what's your, what's your role with the label? Uh, you know, my, my main formal job is, is, uh, is 
is handling our, our finances, I guess. Mm. Um, I pay the sales tax and keep our business license current and the bank account is in my name. <laughs> uh, and and I try to pre- prepare our financial documents in a timely manner and keep those spreadsheets that Clyde was talking about updated as as frequently as I can. But um, yeah, you know, but I think we all have a lot of overlap besides those primary responsibilities. Sure. I think in finding new artists and in thinking about what we want our next, you know, release to be, you know, like conversations like that. So some bleed around that, but I think that I, my keystone task uh, revolves around doing, or is, is based on doing the finances stuff. And, all, but you're also very philosophical. So, I mean, you, you shouldn't sell yourself <laughs> short. Uh, do you guys all kind of come together to develop your North star or, or your goal for this year or, or how does that work? Hmm. We do have group meetings once in a while to just check in about upcoming things. Are you always on the same page? Hmm. I think so. <laughs> well, you're not in answering that question. <laughs> I, think, you know, I think we are. We, we're definitely on the same page. We have a text chat like group and, and whenever one of us, um, like we, we, we talk almost every day, I would say, at least That's like great. we're always up to keeping each other up to date. Like no one's ever really lulling on something. Um, like, and sometimes Clyde's really helpful about like reminding me to do things or like when, when, um, some deadlines are coming up, if like, we're really swamped, like we had a really, really busy, like summer mm. as far as releases and, and beginning of fall. So, um, Clyde was really helpful on, on helping me keep schedules and stuff. So I think, I think we're definitely on the same page. I'm going to, that's the answer. <laughs> Thank that's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody else yeah. is allowed to chime in. I'm going to, I'm going to agree with that. I, and I also would just want to add, you know, I, I really appreciate our, our dynamic so much. And, um, you know, it's at three is a great number of people to have sort of a non-hierarchical decision-making structure. We don't have anything formally in place about how we move forward. And that's, has worked very well for us. And uh, I, I understand in some situations that having more structure makes more sense. But I would say that not that we 100% agree on everything all the time, but we definitely are very open to hearing each other when we disagree. And that, and that very much allows for a path forward pretty quickly, in my experience. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. so great. You know what? It, it was so great to talk to you guys today. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, you're, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not just like pumping your tires, but there's a lot of wisdom amongst the three of you. And I, I imagine that um, comes together and, and kind of compounds to, to be able to do what you guys are doing. So thank you for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Tuck away, pump my tires is a saying. I haven't heard that. What, pump, yeah. p- pumping your tires? I'm use that this week. Yeah. I don't, okay. I'll ju- you know what? I'm going to just Google that first just to make sure that is like the appropriate use of that. You never know. <laughs> no, no, it's perfect. Um, <laughs> listen, I got another question for you and a little game I want to play for our, our patrons. So can you stick around for a couple more minutes? Yeah. Thank you so much for being a listener. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Go to cruisinrecords.com. Again, cruising is spelled C-R-U-I-S-I-N records.com to find out more about this great label and to support what they do. Also, please consider becoming a patron of this show and you'll get to hear my extended interview with these three and we play a fun little game with them um, and there's a, a preview of these games um, 
that is in in our episodes a, a couple episodes ago you can check out a bonus sample of that please consider becoming a patron by going to patreon.com slash other record labels thanks for listening <laughs>